Welcome to the Black College Sports and Education Foundation weekly podcast, where we equip students, athletes, their families, and supporters with vital tools and information that will impact their decisions on educational opportunities and careers. Tune in every Thursday night at 7 Eastern Standard Time as we host prominent guests from a variety of backgrounds, such as education, sports, medicine, and the corporate world. Remember, the Black College Sports and Education Foundation is your one-stop resource center. Now here's your host, Gil McGregor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Black College Sports and Education Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Gil McGregor, and as we've been doing in the past weeks, bringing you important people with great ideas, entertaining thoughts, and wisdom about the legends of black college sports. Well, today is no different. I am thrilled. I am honored. I'm excited to have one of the women's coaches in the history of the CIAA, 713 victories, 14 CIAA tournaments. We're talking about NCAA tournaments. We're talking about being in the NCAA Coaches Hall of Fame, the small college coaches Hall of Fame, one of the greatest coaches to ever call a play. But that's not what makes him, in my mind, the most unique. 30 years at one of the most outstanding HBCUs in the country at Virginia Union, put about five guys in the NBA, affectionately known as the White Shadow, but we know him as Coach Dave Robbins. Coach, thank you for joining us today on our podcast. Thank you, Gil. I'm looking forward to it. Well, as the introduction certainly lends itself to all of your accomplishments, but tell us about your days as an athlete and your days as a coach at T.J. Thomas Jefferson High School in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> no one wants to know about my days. <laughs> My players used to ask me, did I ever play basketball? And I told them, no, I just read books. But I I never read a book about basketball. But I was lucky to grow up in Gastonia, North Carolina, the home of James Worthy, my high school coach. And James was the same, Larry Rhodes, outstanding gentleman. And I played three sports in high school, three sports at Catawba College and had a short stint with the Denver Broncos and played three years of semi-professional football in Richmond. That's how I actually got to Richmond. So a lot of people wonder, well, why are you coaching basketball if you played football? Well, basketball was always my first love, and I was a basketball player that could run and catch, and that's why I played football. But basketball has always been the thing that I cherish the most. Which well, really interesting. You talk about Gastonia, North Carolina, being that I'm a native North Carolinian, and what a town for putting out athletes. The gas house, as they call it, not the largest city in the state of North Carolina, but just talk about the great athletes, including yourself, that have come out of Gastonia. Well, you know, Sleepy Floyd was from there, and, of course, James, and so many other people, and I hate to start naming them and leave someone out, but a lot of great baseball players, some basketball players, and golfers, and you name it, a lot of people were from there. One young man, Darrell Armstrong, Darrell was a football player. Yes. Went to Fayetteville State, 
and I think went out for basketball and ended up playing in the NBA. In fact, he and Charles Oakley are very good friends. Yes, and then there's also a young man who has had a really good career the last four or five years down in Miami that just got traded recently. Whiteside, NBA center. He's from Gastonia. And about being a Catawba Indian. Now, my son finished his last year of eligibility that NCAA gave him at Catawba. Talk about your playing days there. Well, I went as a full scholarship basketball player, and the football coach saw me playing in intramurals, and he asked me to come out for football, and I did. We had a great wide receiver, a young man named Bucky Pope, played for the Los Angeles Rams, and I believe he was runner-up to Joe Namath for Rookie of the Year. He caught 10 touchdown passes as a rookie for Los Angeles. So I went out for football, and when my basketball eligibility was up, I had one more year of football because I only had played one year as a senior. So I went back and went an extra semester to Catawba, did my student teaching, and played football, and then finished at mid-year. But a great small school, as you know. I'm sure your son loved it. The, the yes, he did. And just good people, good people. And some of the happiest days of my life were at Catawba, as well as high school in Gastonia and in Richmond. So I've had a lot of happy days. Now, when did the coaching start and where did it start? The first job? Well, actually, the first job when I – could not play basketball that last half a year. Sam Moria, who is a Hall of Famer in North Carolina, I think he's in seven or eight Hall of Fames, and he was my coach. He let me help him that first semester. So my first actual taste of coaching was at Catawba. And then when I finished it mid-year, they needed a track coach at a little small school in North Carolina, Dallas High School. So I taught and coached track at Dallas, and then my trip to Denver and from Denver to Richmond, and then I coached four years in middle school, then eight years in high school at Thomas Jefferson, and then, of course, the 30 at Virginia Union. Now, between Thomas Jefferson and Virginia Union, which obviously becomes your legacy place, Virginia Union, that's where... I guess I'm sure Dave Robbins was Dave Robbins before Virginia Union, but you certainly <laughs> gave Dave Robbins there. Talk about that first job. I mean, going from high school to college is probably something every coach wants to do. But how did it come about you getting offered the job at Virginia Union? Where did you hear about it and how did you get it? Well, that's a story in itself. The second year I coached at Thomas Jefferson, there was a powerhouse in Richmond. Pierce Callahan coached at Maggie Walker High School, and they were perennial powers. And we had beaten them at our school at TJ, and the last game of the year was going to be at Virginia Union's gym, Barco Stevens Hall. And if we won, we were conference champions for the first time in I don't know how many years. I don't even want to say. I, I'm not sure but a lot, a lot of years. And anyway, we had the game at Virginia Union, and we were lucky enough to win the game. And the then athletic director, Tom Harris, they called him Tricky Tom. Uh, 
he was an outstanding gentleman, just a fine man. And he was sitting there around some of his friends. And the story is that I heard several years later, he said, do you see that white boy down there? And, of course, his friend said yes. And he said, he's going to be my next coach. And they said, Coach Coach Harris, are you crazy? (laughs) So when the job, Bob Moore, who was a a dear friend of mine, who went to Johnson C. Smith, was an outstanding coach, he left Union. So the job opened, I think it was seven years, well, in, in 78. That was in 72. So six years later, the job opened. And, you know, I'd heard a whole bunch of people that applied for a job. I didn't apply. And Coach Harris called me, and, and he always called me boy. He said, boy, have you applied for the job? And I said, no, sir, I hadn't. I said, everybody and their brother wants that job. I'm not planning to apply. And he said, get your resume in. I'm handling this. All right. Turned my resume in and interviewed. I had long, shaggy hair. And I, <laughs> I interviewed, and the president Dr. Alex James, who's another fine, fine gentleman. Of course, both of them have passed away. But he somehow or another accepted me. But he asked Coach Harris, said, you think we can get him to cut his hair? <laughs> so, so Coach asked me, and I said, sure will, sure will. But that's how I got the job, by, I guess, him seeing something in me as a high school coach. And even though... Uh, he was accused of being crazy. It worked out. Well, you know, I'm familiar with the coach you replaced, Robert Moore. He was a head coach at Legacy Black High School in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, at Kentai, and I, they were state champions. And In fact, one of his players came and played at Wake Forest, which is where I played basketball. Uh-huh, but, uh-huh. But when you got your hair cut, good for you, <laughs> and, and you got offered that job and you accepted that job, Knowing you at an HBCU, of course, knowing the history of Virginia Union and being in Richmond, all of that, and knowing what you were walking into that was a little bit different than anyone else previous to you, how did you approach that, Coach? And were there any trepidation on your part or concerns or fears? Or just how did you approach that first day when you said, I'm going to get in my office at Virginia Union? Well, I don't remember exactly, but I didn't approach it any other way other than I think the last two years I was at Thomas Jefferson, I had maybe two white players. So all of my players pretty much were black. I really don't even think I had any white players the last year or two I coached there. But anyway, I was just going across town and getting bigger and stronger players. And I'll back up a little bit. I had an outstanding player that played for me in junior high. His name was Keith Valentine. Oh, yeah, I know that name, yes. Keith Valentine, we were city champions when I had him in junior high. I had him in high school, and we were state champions. He was recruited to the University of North Carolina, played a year under Coach Smith, Dean Smith, who I thought the world of. And I was still a high school coach, and Keith came back to town and said he was homesick, and he was going to transfer to Virginia Union. Well, I tried my best to talk him out of it. I said, gosh, you're at the best place in the country right now, basketball-wise, and, you know, the finest coach, in my opinion, in the country. But Keith came home, and he went to Union, and, of course, I was still a high school coach. Well, when I got the job, Keith was a junior. 
And here again, stories told to me years later, Keith supposedly called the team together and said, said, you're going to think this white man is crazy, but if we listen to him, we'll win. And we won the conference that first year. And so Keith helped me tremendously that I didn't even know it by talking to the players and saying, he's strange, he's going to work you, and, and sometimes you're going to not understand what he gets upset over, you know, not doing something right. And when he gets after you, you just got to grit your teeth and understand he means well. So Keith was just instrumental in my transition because I'd had him in junior high, high school, now I had him in college. In his senior year, we won the first national championship. So he didn't do anything but win all of his career. Well, that is a great story. That's some insight and insight that's outstanding to find out about the success. You know, Coach, when I look around, that's the stories of Virginia anyway, from the Lovings to just the way the state has embraced a whole lot of change. And what you did was certainly monumental in a lot of everybody's eyesight. I guess my question for you and trying to find some understanding from you, because I know why you would take the job at Virginia Union, but just the idea of being there 30 years and not the culture classes, but the culture mixing, uh, the culture concocting of how you and that culture, that's Virginia Union and administration and the student body, as well as your players, how did you manage that and for it to be as successful as it was? Well, Gary, you know you're only as good as your players, and I was so lucky to go into homes and sit down and talk to mom and dads about Virginia Union, and I'll throw another story in in a minute. I would tell, and I've got so many stories, but, you know, I would say that, you know, all we can do is give your son a chance to come and play basketball, and, you know, we don't promise anything, we don't give anything. In a lot of cases, we had young men on work study, which, you know, big schools didn't do. But we didn't have the funds that, you know, the big schools had. And, I mean, even our own conference with the Norfolk States and the Hampton University and Winston-Salem and North Carolina Central, those schools had so much more than we did. But the Livingstons, the St. Paul's, and the Virginia Unions were small church schools. So, anyway... I was so lucky to get good players, and that's how we were successful. And the story I was going to tell you, I recruited a 6'8 kid, 6'7", 6'8 kid out of Richmond one time, and he went to another school, I won't say where, but it was in the conference, and he said they had prettier buildings than we had. <laughs> and, and I think we beat them by 30 right before Christmas, and he called me over Christmas and wanted to transfer well, of course, I couldn't take him. I didn't have any scholarships, and he'd had to sit out a year. But the end of that story is that some 20 years later, he sent me his son. So I, oh. I missed the dad. Okay. Ended up getting the son because of us recruiting the dad. So I would tell people it's not about high-rise buildings. It's about people. People run the university. we got plenty of good people. They're concerned about your future. And once a Panther unionite, you're unionite for life. Coach, were there ever difficulties and difficult stories that you had to come through and to overcome? Not really. Not really. You know, we were disliked 
but we would dislike because of our caliber or standard of play. And I used to tell the team, when we would walk in any gymnasium, we'd be booed. And I said, that's respect. If you weren't very good, you wouldn't hear a thing. They would be nice to you. <laughs> I never had an unkind word said to me, or if I did, I hear it. And then I just let it go in one end out the other. And, you know, you've got hecklers, but they do that at, you know, any school. I'm sure when Coach Smith went to do, <laughs> he got heckled. Oh, look, it was worse when it came to Wake Forest. Believe me, well, they well, were the people that we disliked more than anybody else. Exactly. I, I tell people now, Coach, you know, I, I hate Duke on game day. I hate Carolina uh-huh. every day. <laughs> well, see, I was just the opposite. And part of that was because Coach Smith allowed me to come watch his practice because of Keith. So I picked up a lot of what Coach Smith – and it's just like right now, Coach K is probably the best coach in the country. And you got Duke lovers and Duke haters. Yes, but you yes. Got it. So with that said, I honestly never had any trouble at all. And, you know, people want to make more of that. For instance, it was said that Virginia Union was in a bad neighborhood. Well, it wasn't. It was in a great neighborhood. But the perception was if you came to a game and it was sold out, you might have to walk a block or two. Well, I mean, it's in a great area, you know. But if the perception is it's in a bad neighborhood, then, you know, the public saying, oh, I can't go there. Okay. We moved to the Coliseum a lot of times and played or the Arthur Ashe Center because of the parking situation. But as I say, I honestly had no trouble other than just the booze when we went in other people's gyms. And, Coach, and the reason I want to ask you this, because I'm of the opinion that we have to, in our country, in our society, this great U.S. of A., we have to get back to what brought us together, what pulled us together. I, in 1965, integrated a predominantly white high school. I was one of the first black players to play in the ACC at Wake Forest. So Uh I was part of a cultural change. You are part of a cultural change in the reverse direction. And I think it's so unique that we get to talk to you about what you saw, what you thought, what you looked at, and how you made that work, what your survival thoughts were, techniques, the friendships you made, how you saw that situation and made it work. Because it's a lesson that we all need to think about, and you did it at Virginia Union. So that's why I quizzed you that way. I appreciate that, but honestly, it was just get up and go to work every day and treat people like you want to be treated. I'm sure your parents raised you that way. You know, it's not hard to get along, and you can't be offended if someone says something and you disagree with them. I don't talk politics. When I say that, I do if someone else wants to talk, but I don't bring up politics because you know, we're going to disagree on some things, but let's agree to disagree and don't be offended by what somebody else says. You know, because we won right away, I'm sure that helped. Someone asked me, what if it hadn't worked out at Virginia Union? What would you have done? I said, well, I would have gone back to high school coaching. Okay. Uh, and I never really thought of failing. In fact, a story, Sam Moria, who was just a dear, dear, dear person, we lost him this last year, came to an event that they had in Gastonia, and Charles Oakley and Terry Davis spoke, and, you know, both of them, 6'9", 6'10", 
and Coach Moyer came over to me afterwards, and I thought he was going to pay me a compliment. <laughs> he, said, he said, you know, he said, I thought you were a pretty good coach. You went in the games. He said, but you should have won more games with people like that. <laughs> you had that kind of talent. <laughs> yeah. you I, said, I said, Coach, I didn't have them for 30 years. <laughs> but anyway, he laughed. But again, if you're able to have a good program, then people get behind you quicker than if you're struggling. And I think Coach Smith and Coach Krzyzewski had losing seasons their first they struggled. year. They struggled. They struggled early. Uh, yes, sir, they did. You would have to fill me in. I remember Wake Forest with Bones McKinney, I guess, uh, 60s. Did he stay into the 70s or not? He stayed until the late 70s, and then they hired a guy named Jack McCluskey, who came from the Big Five area at Penn. I remember. And, and uh, Jack I remember. was my In okay. fact, Jack was the general manager of the Detroit Pistons when they won their first two world champions. And, of course, you're part of that because of the great Ben Wallace. But, and I guess it leads me to the next question. When it came to recruiting and you went into families to say, uh-huh. I want your son to come to Virginia Union, how welcoming or not welcoming were those initial visits? Very welcoming. I'll start with Charles Oakley. When I went to Cleveland to recruit Charles and sat down with his mom and we went in the kitchen and my grandparents were from Alabama and she was from Alabama and Charles lived there when he was a child and I think lost his dad when he was about 11 and his mom moved to Cleveland. But we just talked growing up and country values. You know, Charles had a whole lot of offers and a lot for football. You know, she said, we're not asking for anything, but what will he get? And she said, for instance, will he have a roommate? And I said, no, ma'am, he won't have a roommate. He'll have two. There <laughs> <laughs> were three to a room. <laughs> and she said, you know, I'm not talking about other schools, but he's been offered some things over and above. And I said, ma'am, and of course, by me being white, I could say this. I said, Ms. Oakley, I said, Charles could go to a large white school. And I said, they'll do almost everything for him. But I said, if he comes to a predominantly black school, he's going to be a grown man when he leaves and he's going to be able to do everything for himself. All right. He'll stand in lines just like regular students will, and he won't be treated any different as a student, but he'll be given every opportunity to play. And she said, well, will he start? And my answer to that to every parent was the best people I got are going to start. I don't start seniors over freshmen. I play the best people I got. Well, of course, every recruit thinks they're the best. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. That didn't discourage Charles. And I'll give you another story on Charles. So after we finished hearing that we gave nothing, you know, we gave a scholarship. And, yes, Charles was on work study. So at the end of the conversation, his mama said, that's where I want Charles to go. Now, Charles, being an obedient son, decided to come to Virginia Union with his mom's blessing. Well, a cute story, and Charles to this day swears that I lied to him. (laughs) You told me a lie. Well, he came on his visit, and we were having a heat wave, and it was about, I don't know, 16 degrees in Cleveland, and he flew out of Cleveland, and we were having a heat wave in Richmond, and it had been 
83 degrees the day before Charles got here. So I pick him up at the airport, and he's got this big old coat on with a fur collar. <laughs> and as soon as we walk outside, he's peeling that coat off. He says, man, I love this weather. And I said, I said it's a little cool today. It was 81. I said, it's a little cool today. And he said, man. He said, well, I need a coat. I said, hey, you'll need a windbreaker up till about Christmas. Well, the first year he was here, we had about an eight or ten inch snow. <laughs> second, second or third week he was here. So, But he swears to me. I lied to him about the weather. <laughs> about the weather. <laughs> yeah. But we laugh about all that stuff. And I said, Charles, I had to put my best foot forward. I needed your big old self to come in. <laughs> so you, you ordered some good weather to help recruit. Yeah, well, he was lucky. <laughs> With that being said, Coach, there are other notable players that you recruited to Virginia Union that played well for you and had careers after in the NBA. Talk a little bit about some of the talent that you brought to Virginia Union that helped you win those 713 games. You know, I mean, all the players did. I mean, we had just great kids, role players. You know, they were instrumental. I mean, the kid that, you know, averaged eight assists a game or six assists a game or a kid that averaged eight or nine rebounds a game that nobody's ever heard of. You know, they're the ones that, you know, made us successful as well as the stars. But, see, Terry Davis came, and he came the year after Charles left. And Terry... He doesn't mind me saying this because I think Terry played 10 or 11 years in the NBA. Ed Davis is Terry's son. Who's yes. NBA now, I recruited Ed when he was about three or four, but I knew I wasn't going to get him when he was about a foot taller than everybody his age. <laughs> but Terry came, and he doesn't mind me telling this story. Terry was a junk food addict, and I believe Terry was right at 6'9" about 185 or 90 pounds when he came. Wow. And, uh, and that was thin. Well, he just ate nabs and chips and candy and soda. <laughs> and I hate to say it this way, but he had a terrible attitude. He thought he was going to be the next star and walk in. I didn't play Terry hardly any his freshman year. I mean, I'd clear the bench and then – wouldn't even put him in the game. But, <laughs> okay. I just told him, you got to change your attitude or you're not going to be around. I told Terry, I said, Terry, you need to take your rear end home back down to South Boston. You're not ever going to mount anything, you know, the way your attitude is. You need to get the hell out of here. And he actually called his mama and told her he wanted to come home. And she told him, Terry, you need to rethink that. And he did, and he didn't go home. Now, I have always told Terry, Terry, had you gone home, I would have been there the next day <laughs> to get you to come back. I said, but I didn't want you to know that. Right. Well, what happened, at the end of that year, he started working, and a dear friend of ours, Tony Lanassa, L-A-N-A-S-A, produce. Lanassa produce, and he started eating fruits and vegetables. <laughs> he, he changed his diet. He was picking up 50-pound bags of potatoes and getting paid to lift weights, meaning, and he started getting bigger. His attitude changed. He became a perfect gentleman, and to this day, 
as respectful as any player I ever had. That's and a great so story. Terry Chase and what I did that I don't know what made is probably was illegal. Maybe the NCAA will come get me. I had a T-shirt made and I had on it no junk food and I put next all American. Just put that on okay. the shirt. Terry wore it till it became threadbare. Oh, right. He wore it and wore it and wore it. And he will tell you that same story. But Terry became a great, great player for us. So he was one that, you know, went on and had a great career. And actually, Ben, I heard about Ben through Charles. Ben was from Alabama. Charles goes down to Alabama to do a free camp for the kids in Alabama. And I had been after Charles for years. I called Charles Big Fella. I said, Big Fella, I need to find me another Oakley. I need a big Charles. Find me one. And I would ask him about players. You know, if he knew anybody, you know, no, he can't play coach. He can't play coach. <laughs> he would never recommend anybody. So I get a call from Charles, and I said, hey, Big Fella. He said, Coach, I think I got you a play. This was when Ben was in high school. And I said, is he a big man? And Charles' words was, He's not real big, but he sure is a man. Okay. So he recommended Ben, and that's the only player he ever recommended. And, of course, that's how we ended up getting Ben. Well, he recommended a good one, Ben Wallace. You know, when I called the NBA for all those years, I saw Ben in college. Uh-huh. I remember calling your guys' games, and I said, this guy's got a chance to be an NBA player for sure. Uh-huh. He reminded me a lot of Olajuwon then because he was getting a little bit more offense play for you than he did in the league but I saw him early and I was impressed by him and then I saw him when I called NBA games and he was such a nice guy on a Ben Wise bobblehead night he made sure that I had a bobblehead for my son so I've got several right here at the house oh yeah the one that's got the plaits (laughs) but you know I guess what I'm saying coach is you've developed some very good players but they seem to be some very awfully good men too now I know Charles Oakley and the New York Knicks have had their issues but when you reached out to young men to come to Virginia Union, what was it that you wanted them to know about the school they were going to go to, about Virginia Union, about its academics, and what they were going to have to encounter when they got there? What did you tell them? Well, pretty much what I've already said, that you know we can't promise anything other than a chance to get a good education. That pretty much was it. Like I told them, Years later, no one will care if you ever played basketball or not, but they will care, you know, what kind of person you are. And we were hard on our players. They will tell you that. And, you know, as far as wearing their pants where they should be, I would tell them, I said, you know, you can wear your pants down under your behind or you get in them deep like a grown man does. And all of our real, real good players didn't wear them down like that, therefore, the other ones wanted to be like the so-called stars. Yes. But taking your hat off when you go in a building, opening the door for an elderly person or helping someone across the road if they're having trouble. But, you know, just treat people like you want to be treated. And the guys still laugh today about some of my, they said, corny rules. But they then tell me they've talked the same ones to their children. And I appreciate that. I mean, I get calls on Father's Day and, 
you know, get them on Mother's Day. They call my wife. We love having the teams over at the house, and she would feed them good. And, you know, it wasn't all roses, and we had some bad years. But, you know, we still treated those players. I can't use the four-letter word, but uh, <laughs> they, they asked Terry one time, did I treat him or the better players any different? I'll substitute it. Said, did he treat y'all any different? And Terry said, no, he treats us all like dirt. <laughs> okay. He didn't say dirt. Okay. But, I got you. I understand. I understand. But anyway, but still, I love coaching, and I miss it. The thing I miss, you know, I had a 22-year assistant from Winston-Salem, a young man named Willard Coker, that was as loyal as the day was long. He played on that first national championship team. And when I stepped down, I did it because I thought it was his time because he had been so – loyal to me, but I miss the smell of the gym. I got so, you. I understand. You know, it's sort of like someone that loves horses, you know, the smell of a horse stall. You know, most people say, I don't want to smell that. Well, it, it smells good to people that, that, love that, love, that love horses. So I miss coaching, and I go to all the home games. But to this day, I mean, when I meet a kid on the street, I don't assume everybody's 6'6 is a basketball player. But sometimes they recognize me, I'll say, you ought to give Union a chance. You know, a great school. And, and we got a lot of walk-offs that ended up earning scholarships just because of our reputation. So, again, you know, it was a, a great 30 years, and I wouldn't change anything other than someone asked me one time, said, how did you become a pretty good coach? <laughs> I said, it's like grabbing that old hot pot on the stove. You don't keep reaching over and grabbing it so you learn from your mistakes. And I made a lot of mistakes, but hopefully I learned and we corrected them over the years and, you know, didn't make the same mistakes twice to end up losing close games. Well, the thing that we're talking about, Coach, is that, as you know, HBCUs around the country struggling a little bit, and some of them are having a hard time with admission, not a lot of students. When we can highlight a legend such as yourself, when we can highlight a great institution such as Virginia Union, that's what we want to take the opportunity to do here on our podcast. So how can people get in touch with you and find out what you're doing if they wanted to? Well, I have my email. It's coach. C-O-A-C-H, Dave, D-A-V-E, Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S, at gmail.com. All right. The best way to get in touch with me, you know, or through the university. I get calls through the university, but I don't mind people just emailing me. I answer anybody. I like for them to give me a phone number when they email me. and I Okay. Talk to them more on the phone. I never took typing, so I have to just... <laughs> One or two sentences uh, when I email them back, but that's probably the best way. And I really commend you and what y'all are doing. And, you know, schools like Virginia Union might struggle from time to time, but they're going to be here a long, long time. And Union does a great job, and we've had a lot of good presidents, a lot of great presidents. And I think the future is going to be bigger and brighter. Well, we want to thank you for your time. We want to thank you for your insight and for sharing with us. Again, I'm going to throw back to that name where they called you the white shadow, but I'm going to call you the bright shadow because that's what (laughs) you have cast 
on the CIAA as it relates to basketball, what you've cast on the lives of the young men that you trained and you coached and that you've cast on the HBCU Virginia Union. And you've also cast that bright shadow on our podcast. Coach Dave Robbins, thank you for your time and for your sharing with us today. Thank you, Gil. I certainly appreciate it. And all right, you heard it. It's Coach Dave Robbins. They call him the White Shadow. He gave a lot of great advice for young people listening. And we hope you will join us again. We're going to have more interesting guests. We're going to have more interesting conversation. And all we're going to need is you. Take care. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. For more information about us, please visit our website at www.bcsportsfoundation.com. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at HBCU for Life. That's HBCU, the number four, life. To be a potential guest on our podcast, contact Ed J. Hayes at ed.j.hayes at gmail.com. Tune in next week for another amazing show.